And hello, everybody. Hey, man, it's Sunday night, man. You know what time it is. You know what we do. We're going inside HBCU football. As you can see right now, man, I got a couple of my homies with me. You know them, Blue Blood Sports. What's going on, Blue? What's up, man? Definitely appreciate you having me on. Man, I'm glad that you're on, man. If you guys, uh, you know, love the game, man, Blue does a great job giving you the X's and O's, the ins and outs, not just HBCU football, but football across the board. Does a hell of a job, man, a, a guy that I really enjoy uh, watching and listening to. And then, man, we got my Jag, man, my boy, the Jaguar Journal, on the yard, you know, Mr. Southern <laughs> University himself, my boy, Perry White, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, finest, baby. Pine Bluff, Arkansas, finest. What's going on, Perry? I'm tired, dude. The Bayou Classic. Anybody's watching this, you've never been, put on your schedule next year. Let me tell you, it's a hell of a weekend. I'm tired. Sunday, you're going to have to get some rest, but I'm doing well, man. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> man, man. What, what thing about Bayou Classic, I tell people, man, your first time is when you mess up. You, you learn from after, you, you learn after that. Uh, but your first time, you always mess up, man. Uh, you know, rest, you know, three hours of sleep is rest. You know, Bayou Classic weekend. You know, if you get your three hours, you're doing good. Uh, one thing about the Bayou Classic that makes it so special Everybody's always in one area, so you can walk from hotel to hotel, from place to place, uh, and, and it's just a lot of happenings going down. Uh, you know, this weekend, you know, I was me and Perry talked about this on Friday. I was a little worried. Uh, you know, we have not had a Bayou Classic since 2015 that didn't have championship implications, mm. uh, and this was the first one since 2015 that did not. I was a little concerned about the crowd and, and what they may look like. But when you got to the city on Friday, and for me, it wasn't even getting out of the airport. You knew we were okay. Uh, it was blue and gold everywhere, <laughs> man. You know, speckles of, of black and gold here, here and there. Uh, and then when you got in the city, man, it was it, 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 it was something else. Man. I was telling uh, Scotty Offscript earlier, I said there were three things that I observed this weekend. One, just being back in New Orleans, the game being back on and everything being back, it man, it 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 it, it was amazing. It's an amazing thing to see. Two, Bills Mafia is real. Man, the Buffalo Bills traveled to New Orleans, Louisiana in huge numbers, and they made a weekend out of it. Uh so Bills Mafia, man, it, they were they were deep. Uh, they were in the hotels, they were on the streets, they were everywhere. Uh, and I like it because they participated in all the Bayou Classic events, man. You saw them at the parade. Uh, you saw them snatching their belt on the band, ticket. Uh, man, you know, they they were, they were down for the cause. And then three, talking to some, some, some people from Bill's Mafia coming from the Northeast, they were blown away about this big football game that they had never heard of and how much attention and just how much fanfare was around it. And they were even more blown away that these were two FCS programs. And I had a guy in the airport tell me, he said, hey, man, I'm from Jersey. Rutgers and Syracuse never get this type of attention. College football doesn't get this type of attention <laughs> in the Northeast. And for you to tell me that these are two FCS programs, this is not even Power 5, not FBS. This ain't, this ain't even the MAC. This is FCS. 
And he's like, and SES up there, man, you you lucky to get, you know, two or three thousand people in, you know, in the building. But we're talking about this thing is taking over the whole city, man. This is amazing. Um, and it has a few of them say, hey, man, this is going to be my Thanksgiving thing from here on out. I bought in. I got a little taste of it. I bought in. So let's go. So those are my three takeaways from the, from, from the weekend. But we, we're going to dive into uh, Bayou Classic. I know Blue, uh, we, we're going to dive into the, the Florida AM, uh, Southeastern Louisiana game uh, with Blue. And the reason that I have this uh, conglomerate of, of talent with me today is that, man, we're going to break down the, the SWAT Championship coming up. Um, you know, this weekend with uh, Prairie View in Jackson State. Uh, so I'm going to shoot it to my man, Blue, because, Blue, I, I, we looked at this Florida A&M uh, and, and Southeastern Louisiana uh, football game. And watching the film on Southeastern Louisiana and looking at the statistics, I said, for FAMU, they're going to have to do three things to win uh, this ball game. Number one, they're going to have to run the ball effectively and efficiently, control the clock, they can't turn the ball over, and they can't give up the the big play. And I felt like this game was going to be tailor made for two players for on FAMU, FAMU's defense. Number one was going to be Isaiah Land uh, because just the way that Southeastern likes to throw the ball, uh, you know, he was going to have some opportunities to really make a name for himself. And on the on the back end was going to be number five Marquise Bell, uh, his ability to roam the field sideline to sideline, uh, be physical up against the run as well as the short passes as well. I felt like the game was going to be tailor-made for them. And then we're at the Dome, and we're looking at our phones, and we're, boom, 14 nothing, boom. And we're like, what? man, what is fam you doing? And it just got out of hand. Uh, Blue, man, what, what happened to fam on yesterday? Um, I mean, man, I, I said on my preview, I went with fam. It was, that was my one upset of the first round. I picked all favorites except for fam you. And I, I, the one thing I said is you can't get behind. If you have a slow offensive start, which you look at FAMU, they had a slow offensive start against Bethune-Cookman, against Alabama A&M. There's no coming back from 14, 21 down against this team. I mean, you have the reigning Walter Payton of the Year award winner. He's also a favorite this year along with Eric Berrier. And you're on the road in the playoffs and you already have the pressure of the SWAC never winning a playoff game on your back you had to get off to a strong start. And then you give up a touchdown on a fake field goal where, I mean, if you're a special teams assistant coach, you have to notice that they have the backup running back holding holding the ball. If you, like, the special teams coaches should have called that out immediately, time out, let me get my prevent or, or get my field goal safe unit out there. You that was That was unacceptable not to see that. And then on top of that, you mentioned running the football, man. Bishop Bonnet had nine carries on Saturday night. And what I think you saw is um, FAMU kind of panicked when they got down. They got 14, 21, nothing. And Willie Simmons and that staff just almost looked like they threw away the game plan. And they were like, we're going to have to throw our way back into the game. Rashawn McKay should never. I don't care if they're playing Fort Valley. I don't care if they're playing anybody should never have 40 passing attempts mm-hmm. in, in any game that they're playing anyone in. And, I, and and Scotty said it, I said it, it cannot become a McKay versus Cole Kelly battle because FAMU is losing that one 11 times out of 10. You're never going to win that battle. And on top of that, Xavier and some of those wide receivers had major drop issues on Saturday night. 
And that's not something that we were accustomed to seeing all season long. And for me, I really feel like FAMU let the moment get too big for them. They let the league get too big. And then that defense for Southeastern got confident and they started getting pressure on McKay. And ultimately, I mean, FAMU just got out of their game plan. You had to run the football and you had to get pressure on Kelly. Now, Savian uh, at defensive tackle and gentle hunt at D tackle, they did their thing. They got to the quarterback, but Isaiah Land was MIA. Marquise Bell had a big game with 16 tackles. But outside of those few players, everyone on FAMU just had an off night. And if, I, if you would have told me before the game that Bishop Bonnet would have nine carries, I probably would have picked Southeastern by more than they won by. And uh, ultimately, I think the moment just got a little bit too big for FAMU this weekend in Hammond, Louisiana. And, and this is the thing that jumped out to me, Blue. Southeastern ran the ball for 158 yards. And this is a football team that can't run the ball. Yeah. They ran the ball on Florida A&M. And, and defensively, Southeastern probably played their best game of the year defensively. Like, where has this defense been? And, and man, um, now I think that the bad part about this, and I'm going to get Perry to jump in, is that now you have that stigma, uh, FAMU, where they were able to accomplish, and, and, and with the way that they played, I felt like they lost close. Uh, that it, it would help the conference. But to be beaten in the way that they were beaten, because those 14 points came in garbage time. It was 38 to nothing at that point in the ball game. Now you have that stigma out there. Well, if another SWAC team is close, does a SWAC team get that net, that nudge into the playoffs? Is the selection committee hesitant to do that, you know, for a SWAC team? Um, so, I mean – yeah, just just an overall just not good night for Florida A and L. Perry, we were watch, we were watching the scores on the sideline, man. What was going through your mind as we seen that that score just go from seven nothing, fourteen nothing, and then it was quick. It was quick. Uh, what, what what were your feelings on it? You know, as Blue said, I, I'm a I put this. I'm a fan of Rashawn. Excuse my voice, man. There's a lot of yelling going on this weekend, <laughs> but I'm a fan of Rashawn McKay. Uh, I thought. In terms of a manager, I like adversity. I like players that can handle adversity. And I think what we saw in the Orange Blossom Classic early on, it was tough to watch him have to deal with that Jackson State defense so early on in the season. Your first game of the year, you're going against a defense like Jackson State. And you saw all the chatter in terms of people talking about get them out of there. They even changed quarterbacks late into the fourth quarter, and it looked like it gave them a spark just too little too late. But Rashawn McKay came back, and each week he seemed like he developed and got better and got better in terms of managing the offense and doing the necessary things it took for that to facilitate that offense. When you got a guy like Xavier Smith, when you got a running back like Bishop Burnett, and he runs different. I watched him at the Southern game. He's a running back. He's not a big guy in stature, but he runs different, and I like the way he runs. He has that, as Coach Prime said, that dog in him. Mm-hmm. And when I saw this game, and I saw the stat line of the passing. Now, Cole Kelly, I tell people, we had this discussion earlier, and I don't know how far we can go with it, but I said I had a favorite Confederate team, okay? <laughs> and Cole, my favorite Confederate team is the Arkansas Razorbacks. So I know Cole Kelly. He was a quarterback for the Razorbacks. So it was nothing new in terms of what he was able to do. You just had this merry-go-round for Arkansas during his time there. 
that they never could settle in on the quarterback, so he transfers to Southeastern. I knew he had a big one when he won the Walter Payton Award. I, I figured he would be a guy that was an immediate impact transferring from the FBS level to the FCS level. If you can get some receivers around him where he can turn your program around. And seeing Rashawn McKay with 40 passing attempts, that, that didn't sit well with me, especially when you look at Southeastern's defense, who just a few weeks ago played Nichols. And Nichols' running back went off and had a record-breaking night against that Southeastern defense. And when you bring in a, a running back like Bishop Annette, who can has that same big playmaking ability at running the ball, I thought Willie Simmons got away from what could work for them. And what could work was running the ball. They could establish the run and then allow Rashawn McKay. Don't put the game on Rashawn McKay's arm. He's not that quarterback. And that's what I saw with that. He is a facilitator, but he needs balance. And when you get a guy like Bishop Burnett, nine carries is not going to win you a game. You're going to have to get more carries. And I thought Bishop needed more carries. And in this ball game, you want to play keep away from Cole Kelly. That is a guy you don't want to have the ball in his hand throwing around the field. And having the ball and controlling possession and time of possession, that would have been key. But, of course, you didn't do that, and you allowed the score to get out of hand, especially when you get away from your game plan. Well, I don't know the game plan. My game plan would have been run first, and then we'll rely on Rashawn McKay when we need him. It seemed like they went opposite that and put it all on Rashawn McKay's arm and just had Bishop Burnett is just like he's, the, he's an accessory. He's just a watch to this piece. And it didn't really work out that way, and they found themselves falling behind early and quick. And it, it, and it goes to ask the question, and this is a conversation I was having with some people. You know, people give us this backlash when we have our pride about HBCU football, particularly SWAC and MEAC. And I want to know, what is it going to take when we have a program, even like FAMU, who had an outstanding season, only lost 76 to Jackson State, and then, of course, to UCF, who's an FBS opponent. But what does it take now with our programs, even with a FAMU, to make them better than SWAT good, better than HBCU good. You know, what is it going to take? Because Southeastern, let's look at it. It's not the facilities, and it's damn sure not a celebrity head coach that has them winning games and doing what they're doing, right? right. It's not a big, huge fan base that's following them all over the place. So it's not like they're selling that to a potential student athlete. Hey, I have this big-time coach. We have these amazing facilities, and we got a huge fan base that'll go wherever we go. They don't have that. So what does it take now? And that's the question I guess I ask you guys. Because watching FAMU, I expected more out of them for this game. I wanted a better representation uh, in terms of showcasing the FAMU's pride, who they are. And not only that, being a great representation of the SWAT out there in the FCS playoffs. We cry about it. We beg about it. But then when we get to this point, this is our results. And it makes us scratch our head. Like, you know, we look at these non-conference matchups even during regular season. And they normally don't work out well, especially when you look at SWAC and Southland Conference teams matching up. And I thought this was a great matchup. You've seen Alcorn and Southern take on Northwestern State and McNeese over the years. So I thought this would have been a great matchup in terms of seeing FAMU, one of our best versus the Southland Conference, Southeastern, one of their best. And how do we take our programs to the next level? And if we can't use the term better facilities, fan support, and celebrity coaches, because these teams, like a Southeastern, don't have it. I think, um, and I'm going to let Blue jump in after me. I, I think the, the biggest thing is, is mentality, right? I think it, it starts with a mentality. How many at times have you seen, and being around this conference, Terry, 
where in the early season we'll lose one of these ball games and the reaction from the fan base is, well, it doesn't count. It ain't a sweat game. Like that mentality will make you not hold people accountable. All right? Because if you ain't holding me accountable for some things, then I'm going to go let it ride. If, if you're working the job and your boss ain't paying attention to what you're doing, you're going to keep doing what you're doing if, that, if that's good enough. If I work an eight-hour shift and you only care about the productivity I do for the last four instead of the first four, then the first four is going to be full of me uh, tweeting and updating Facebook status. All right? Um, and, I, and I think that's what you have. A lot of people look at uh, these ball games as, oh, it's not, it's not a swag game, so it doesn't count. And, and, and winning the swag is all, all that matters. And we have to get out of that mentality. All right? We have to get out of that mentality. Uh, the thing that I want for this conference is to build the best football programs in the country, not just in the conference, build the best football uh, programs in the country. And we have the ability to do that. But I think that we, I think for so long, we've looked at this as just as winning the swag and, and, and bragging amongst ourselves instead of stretching out, branching out, and playing some of these other FCS, you know, conference games. A lot of our fans don't even attend when we play these FCS conference games. I mean, they 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 don't. Attendance is down, you know, for us when we when we play those games. And I think it's just it's mentality, you know, it's yeah. mentality. I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let go, go ahead, Pierre. And I, you know, know. I, I get it, you know, but it's just the idea of programs. Look at Nichols, I, I, and let's just try to. I, I say the Southland Conference. It's in my backyard. I live in Louisiana. Southland Conference makes up a huge portion of what the, the Louisiana schools make up a huge portion of the Southland Conference. Their subpar teams, a five and five team, still competes better against our eventual SWAC champs or teams that battle for our SWAC championships. Mm -hmm. And if you go to Northwestern State, you go to Magnese, you go to Nichols, Nichols for sure. And you look at these facilities, you look at these programs, you know, it should not be that hard of a sale to where now we're in a position where we're saying, well, we got to get celebrity coaches just to be that good. And I'm looking at the idea, and I'm not saying we all do, but that's the conversation that's being had of having these huge big name guy coaches coming to our schools. And I'm looking at these schools. You can't name me. Who's the coach of Southeastern? I mean, most average person really is not going to know. Who's the coach at Northwestern State? Who's, who's the coach at Nichols? You know, what celebrity, what fame do they have? But when they play us, that program seems to always do this against us. And we always seem to go down. And I'm just, you know, it's not the facilities. They don't have a ton of money. But, and they're recruiting against the same guys we're recruiting against. When you look at the state of Louisiana, everybody, Southern, Grambling, Magnese, Nichols, Southeastern, Northwestern, they're all recruiting the same guys. On top of then you throw in Louisiana Tech, ULM. UL, LSU, and, and whoever else, but it's just I'm ready to see us take our programs and get better than what we just consider winning SWAC championships because SWAC championships obviously can't be the standard if we get a SWAC team and we no longer can use, well, it's a non-conference game. It doesn't matter. This was a non-conference game that mattered because it was on the road to a national championship. It was bigger than the SWAC. It was bigger than the celebration boat. Fam, you was in a position to battle for a national title, and they let a team like Southeastern 
completely decimate them, make them look like they did not belong. And because of that, I'm ready to belong. I'm ready to sit at the table. I'm ready when we do play these teams that I can recall back a couple years ago, Jacksonville State had the longest, I think, regular season win streak in the conference. They go over to Birmingham and take on North Carolina A&T. And A&T shows the whole nation to kick the season off. They ended South Carolina, not South Carolina, Jacksonville State's winning streak. And I think when I saw A&T take that leap, it made me feel good. Like, look at this. One of our teams are competing with one of the best that were out there. I'm ready to see more of that. I'm ready to see the Southerns, the Gramlins, the FAMUs, the Jackson States, where when we play each other, we see good games. But outside of when we play each other, it's like, wow. And when you're competing for national titles and you want to get an invitation to the FCS playoffs, I think you got to up your game. And it unnecessarily acquires a celebrity coach of the greatest facilities. It's about concept. That's true. We're coming, you're already come up on a break. Before we go to break, Blue closes out, man. From what you've seen, man, from the X's and O's, uh, what, what, what have you seen as far as the biggest uh, difference, particularly the HBC programs and the SWAC and MEAC, uh, compared to those FCS programs in the Southland, um, you know, the OVC, the C, you know, CAA, and, you know, Big Sky and so forth? Um, I mean, uh, like, I'll, I'll keep it in the South because, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. As a guy who covers FCS, I mean, it would be almost an FBS-type jump for the SWAC to even be on the same level as the MVFC or the Big Sky. I mean, that those conferences are five deep with teams that could, that could realistically win the national title this year. I mean, South Dakota State was, like, the fourth-best team last year and made it all the way to the national championship and almost won by one play against Sam Houston State. But, I mean, when you look at the Southland, I mean, you're right. There's not that many differences. The players aren't significantly better the coaching isn't significantly better the facilities are similar and really and truly I mean the funding's not even that different I mean the southeastern is not rolling in a bunch of money that you know that that some of these other programs don't have I mean I, I believe someone last night on all script stream said that the income is only like three million dollars different between FAMU and southeastern last year so it's not like they have an access to a weird pull the money somewhere but for me it's that those teams know what they need to fix how do you how do you evaluate your team over the year if you don't play if you don't test yourself during the season so the only team that played a a a tough out of conference game really and truly was Prairie View they played Incarnate Word who won the Southland and then they got beat 41 to 41 to nine I believe was the final score Mm -hmm. I mean they got it, it was Jawan Pass's worst game and then you get FAMU losing to Southeastern. So now on the outside looking in, they're like, okay, well, Prairie View and FAMU are probably two of the top three, maybe four teams in the SWAC. They played our top two teams, and it wasn't even competitive from the from the jump of either game. So, and, and on top of that, I understand, like, everyone, everyone wants respect, everyone wants exposure, everything like that, but – how, do, how does playing a Delta State tell you anything about what needs to be improved on your team or who's a baller or who needs to be put on the bench or where your weaknesses are? And you can say, oh, well, well, Zach, because I, I hear it all the time on my channel. Well, you know, Nichols was six and five. Oh, how did Northern Iowa make the playoffs with a six and five record? Well, Northern Iowa Perfect. played, yeah, Northern Iowa played four top 10 teams at the FCS level, three on the road. They, that five and five record counts way more than I'm. I'm sorry to say, a nine and two record for FAMU, it, mm-hmm. it really does. Like quality losses are better than bad wins, and we've seen that. At, we can see, and you could say that's that's not right. But even at the FBS level, 
a two-loss Alabama is going to be looked at better than an undefeated Cincinnati, regardless of how you want to argue it or anything like that. So for me, the SWAC has to go out and challenge itself. And and I don't want to hear – I've heard the arguments, BJ. Now, I'm sure you've seen my channel, Scotty's channel, is like we're the martyrs of the out-of-conference schedule, and we get a lot of the flack because we're outsiders per se. But for me, you, there's too many teams in the South that you could play that travel wouldn't be an in- issue, that money wouldn't be an issue. You can't tell me – in. Southern and Alcorn have done good. They've both played like McNeese and North and Northwestern State, but Sanford, Jacksonville State, um, who ETSU, UT Martin, Tennessee State, even even go to the even go to like the the Georgia region, Mercer, Kennesaw State. There's way too many teams in the Southern footprint of football that you shouldn't that you should ha- happen to be playing the Fort Valley States and Delta States of the world. And I understand there's tradition with some of them, but I just don't even think that a game against Tuskegee or someone like that improves your improves your team at all. I mean, how much? I mean, even the Turkey Day Classic with Alabama State. I think it'd be way more interesting if it was Jacksonville State versus Alabama State this weekend than, than even a Tuskegee. And I know there's tradition and things behind that, but unless you test your programs when you get to the playoffs. It's going to be the same old story because those teams are forced and fire. They know where they were weak. They knew what to do in a big game. And then when you're in a big game and don't play anybody, you tend to lose. And it's the same at every level. The NFL, Power Five, FBS, FCS, it doesn't matter. If you don't, if you don't play, I guess, above your above your level constantly, then you're never gonna you're never gonna improve your team throughout the season. And then you get exposed like you did this weekend. Yeah, and and blue just I, I got a good friend that uh, currently works in the Ivy League, but before that, he was a non non scholarship uh, uh, pioneer uh, league school. All right, he was at he was at Davis. He said we've reached out to HBCUs and the SWAC and MEAC about a game, and you know we were saying, hey, we're not you know not really looking looking for that much. We know it's going to be a one game guarantee, but if you can come here. You know, you know, fine. And they were told no. They were told no because we can't run the risk of you beating us because that will hamper the image of our program with you being a non-scholarship team. And then you'll see those same teams go and schedule. I swear if I see Virginia Lynchburg on another schedule, like I'm a, I'm, I'm it's, it's gonna be Latrell Spreewell. All right, Latrell Spreewell. And speaking of choking people. We're going to choke out on this break right here, man. We're going to run the break real quick. We come back, man. We're going to break down the Bayou Classic quickly, and we're going to run right into this SWAC championship game this upcoming weekend. Prairie View, the Panthers, visiting Jackson State 2021 SWAC championship game. Keep it locked right here. we inside HBCU football. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCU Pride Joy on Facebook and Twitter. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. 
from the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. This is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. Nope. Nope. You want him? Ooh, I like him. Quicker Picker Upper. Bounty picks up messes quicker, and each sheet is two times more absorbent, so you can use less. He's an eight. He's a nine. Bounty, the Quicker Picker Upper. Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon, so now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language, and she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Itchy. Squirmy, scratchy, family not getting clean. Get Charmin Ultra Strong. Go get him. It just cleans better. With a diamond weave texture, your family can use less while still getting clean. Goodbye, itchy squirm. Hello, clean bottom. <laughs> we all go. Why not enjoy the go with Charmin? back we are live man we're right here inside hbcu football breaking it down my man zach y'all know him as blue blood blue blood sports my man p white Perry white man you know him, man on the yard jaguar journal jukebox media you know he does it all man he's a man that wear many hats many hats yeah, went on today they ain't got one on today man they got one on today Speaking of hats, man, and, and, and caps, man, yesterday put a cap on the season uh, for both Southern and, and both Grambling State. When we talk about the Bayou Classic, and, and that game went a lot different than people thought that it would go. Uh, one of the things that jumped out about that game, Grambling had their highest offensive output of the season, 500 total yards. Grambling State, the worst offense statistically in the Southwestern Athletic Conference. 500 total yards on that Southern defense yesterday. Ouch. Elijah, Say that again, BJ. How many? Five, 500, over 500 total yards. Oh, couldn't stop a nosebleed, man. Elijah Walker, get, get it done through the air. He wasn't the most efficient, uh, but he got it done through the air. Um, he, he, he ran it 100 and, ooh, wow, 198 yards on the ground. 183 in the air. Yikes. Uh, Perry, man, just give me get your thoughts on that ball game yesterday. Instant classic is what I can say. Uh, I think it was uh, pretty much what you look at two teams, two interim coaches coming into this ball game. Uh, and <laughs> I have to say this. It makes athletic director at Grambling, Travy, and Scott look good right now. A lot of people were complaining about letting go Coach Files before this game and didn't really know you know, it was up in arms. Why are they doing this? Then you bring in Terrence Graves, a longtime assistant in this conference. 
He leads this team to a victory, a game that I didn't think maybe Gramlin had an opportunity to do it. You look at Gramlin's struggles all year. I mean, they lost the Pine Bluff. They literally lost the Pine Bluff. And when that happened, I said, you know what? I think we got a chance. I think Southern has a chance in this ball game. And, and Pine Bluff is playing receivers at DB in that game. You know, it showed you let a team with a thin roster beat you. And I'm looking at Southern full roster with a lot of talent all around the ball. And I didn't expect for it to go this way. Southern's defense, where were they yesterday? I don't know. Did not show up. Couldn't stop a nosebleed. Allow Gremlin. Let me get to the end of the game. They allowed Gremlin to do whatever they wanted to do. And it was, it was sad to watch, man. But at the same time, I think you saw Southern's offense kind of get a little bit ignited by adding Ladarius Skelton back in the fold. You know, he opened up. Well, all of a sudden, there were the tight ends again. Where were the tight ends? We couldn't find them because nobody respected it. Now you get Ladarius Skelton in, all eyes on Ladarius Skelton when he rolls out. Guess who's on the other side of the field wide open? The tight ends, and it opened up Southern's playbook along with the run game. Uh, and I thought that the offense did everything possible. It wasn't pretty, but I think when you talk about in the grinded out game, I think Southern's offense did everything to go down to keep them in this game and to possibly seal the deal. Uh, Luke Kicker misses the extra point, could have been up 27-26. So you get a tie ball game. And then this is the part of the game that really bothered me. The last three minutes of that ball game, watching Grambling State. It almost like at the, before the kickoff, the Grambling coaches and players all got together and drew it up and said, this is exactly how it's going to go. And we're going to drive the ball exactly down to this spot. We're going to kick the ball. We're going to win the game right there, okay? Just let's do that. And that seemed like that's what happened. They literally took the ball down the field. Southern could not stop Grambling on those third downs. Those were some key third down Southern's defense could have got Grambling off the field and put the ball back into Ladarius Skelton in this offense and Southern's offense hand, but they could not do it. And when they didn't do it, they allowed Graham to walk the ball, didn't run it. They didn't throw it. They walked the ball exactly to where they wanted to put it and kick the field goal. I thought in terms of clock management, I had to look at Jason Rollins, Southern's interim head coach, and say at some point, dog, you had to use those three timeouts. You took those three timeouts with you all the way to seven seconds. Three timeouts with the field goal right in front of the kick, I don't think is going to ice. I need time to at least get an opportunity. If you're going to kick this field goal a little early on or you're going to score a touchdown, but I need some time left on the clock in terms of clock management. And I thought he left, let that time run off. I saw something similar to what happened in that ball game to when they played FAMU with about five minutes left in that game. And FAMU did the exact same thing. They drove the ball Excuse me. They walked the ball all the way down to Southern's one yard line and Southern got the ball back on the one yard line with no time. Clock management really hurt Southern, I think, on the back end and Southern's defense not showing up. Congratulations to the Gremlin Tigers. Blue, did you get a chance to watch this one? Oh, yeah, man. I caught, I caught the replay. I was a little busy, man. Being an Auburn grad, I was real busy <laughs> crying my eyes out at the end you of the night. But you're gonna oh. over there. <laughs> oh man, I don't even want to talk about it, man. What a, that was a tough one. That was a tough one. I just went to bed after that one. I like watched the fan view from like the bedroom. I was like, I don't even need to see anybody. But man, like watching it back, you got to give Elijah Walker a lot of credit, man, for what he. Even though, like you said, he wasn't efficient. He was, he was just a playmaker yesterday. Every time Grambling needed a play. It, whether it was with his legs or through the air, he found a way to make it. And you also got to give him as, as much flack as everyone likes to give, you know, the swat kickers. 
Urban yesterday was on fire. I mean, five field goals for him with no misses. He was balling out. But the fourth quarter, man, like I agree. I agree with everything that he just said, man. It was a classic game. I mean, 23 fourth quarter points back and forth. It was a close game. And you said you were scared because, I mean, I'm, my swack hours, like as people would say, might be low. But I did I did read about how this is the first game without like major swack implications. It still lived up to the hype, man. And for me, the number one thing for Southern is they came into the season and everyone was talking about how they could dominate the line of scrimmage, whether it be the offensive line of scrimmage or the defensive. And down the stretch, I mean, even for the season, they they just could not get any penetration on the defensive side of the ball. Their offensive line really didn't get the push that a lot of people thought they would. I mean, I picked Southern big in this one. I thought Southern was going to win this one. And their offensive line did perform as well. But the defensive line this year, man, really disappeared down the stretch of some big games. You look at the Jackson State game. You look at the FAMU game. Where was where was Ivy? Where was Jordan Lewis? I mean, they had all the Americans all across both, both lines of scrimmages, and none of them showed up. I thought Russell had a big game for Grambling. But ultimately, uh, like Perry said, man, you cannot allow a game-winning kick to go off with all three of your timeouts. What were you saving them for? Did you take them back with you on the plane? Like – you, you at least had to give yourself a shot at a kickoff return, a Hail Mary. I believe it was Marcus McClain that had a big kick return earlier in the game for like 40 yards. At least give yourself a chance to do some type of lateral, but no time left on the clock. you got to give it up to Grambling for pulling it out, especially with all the, like you said, the flack with the fobs firing. But I really feel like Southern let this one slip away and at least could have given themself, uh, themselves a chance to win it at the end of the game. And I think when your defense is getting gashed like that and, and- – there was a drive in the first half where Southern was gashing Grambling on the ground. Terrence Graves and, and, and the defensive coordinator called timeout and, and gave that defense a tongue lashing. That drive stalled out. They made the corrections right then. This is what we need to do. That's what I would like to see from Southern uh, on that last drive. Because it was obvious that, you know, stopping the run wasn't happening. You need to call that time out, man, before they cross the 50-yard line and, and, and do all of that, man. It's, the, the best thing about yesterday, if you're a Southern fan, it signaled the end of the season. <laughs> 21 season that you would like to forget. You know, both spring and fall. Because spring then 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 lead you to a championship. And the fall was supposed to, and they got you nowhere near it. Got you. Got you. Your first, your worst finish in in in, in ten years. You know, almost ten years. So, um, man, rough. I mean, SWAT championship coming up this weekend. Um, I wonder who had Prairie View and Jackson State on their bingo card in August about who would be, you know, competing for the SWAT championship. You know. If you say that, you're probably lying. There's probably some people that, but it's probably some people that had Prairie View. It's probably some people that had Jackson State. Those people were probably all affiliated with either school. All right, um, but we get it. Take a little bit of the luster taking off this game a little bit. Prairie View has lost two in a row. Lost to Alcorn. Lost to Mississippi Valley. Got some players that are going to be out. For the to get to A&M loss. Yeah, three in a row, too. Yeah, three in a row. Um, takes a, it, it, this, this game takes a hit. But Prairie View, when that 
clicking on all cylinders. They're one of the best teams in the conference. The problem is they hadn't clicked on all cylinders since that Southern game, and that was mid-October. All right, that was late to mid-October. All right, we're we're coming into the month of December. Uh, what's your read on this one, Blue? Uh, coming into this weekend, man. If if you would have asked me, what three weeks ago, I would have said this would be a extremely close game. But, but with all the injuries that have happened down the stretch, Jawan passed, maybe not being at a hundred percent. They lose a big wide receiver this weekend. Like Damian Brooks mm-hmm. isn't a hundred percent. I mean, they're missing so many key pieces to, to what, to, to what the puzzle should have been. I mean, going into that Southern game, uh, BJ, they had a top two passing offense and were a top two rushing offense. They were so balanced. Their defense was top three in every major statistical category in the SWAC. And over the past few weeks, they've really just been, I wouldn't say necessarily exposed. They've just, they've had, they've had so much adversity hit them. I mean, in that all corn game, they get the slow start and, Almost come back and they have an untimely fumble to end that game. Then they then they go play AM and everybody gets hurt. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. that was important to them got hurt in that game. And then you go to Valley and Caleb Johnson absolutely puts on a show. I mean, is still probably running for touchdowns in prayer view right now. So for me, everything that could be going wrong is going wrong. And then on top of that, you have the coaching rumors where now your head coach is linked to the southern job, and there's a lot of people saying that he's already gonna take it. So where is the mindset for Prairie View going into the vet this weekend? Because if you're going to beat Jackson State in the vet with all these implications on the line, you're going to have to play a damn near perfect game. I mean, there's going to have to be no turnovers. Your D-line is going to have to show up, and, and you're going to have to play arguably – I mean, you're, they're going to have to play the same type of game they played in the second half against Southern if they're going to mm-hmm. win this game where it was almost flawless. And on the Jackson State side, you know, did everyone stay focused over the break – how, how, what are you feeling? Are you, because the one thing you can't have happen is Prairie View overlook, I mean, Jack State overlooked Prairie View just because of the injuries and the recent losing streak. If they come in there, you know, half focused, we could be having a real different game on our hands. But the matchup for me to watch, man, is Prairie View's defensive line against Jackson State's O line. That has been Jackson State's weakness all year long, and nobody has been good enough to take advantage of it yet. Can can Dumas and those defensive linemen wreak havoc in the backfield? Shador is is got the pocket present. He he has the escapability. If you can't get your hands on Shador Sanders and disrupt the Jackson State passing game, it could be a long day in in, in terms of what's going to happen in the vet this weekend. Dumas, Jason Dumas has to have a big game. He has to have a big game for Prairie View. Uh, I call him Mister Unblockable. I think when he's on, I think when he's on, he's one of the best interior linemen, not only in this conference, but you know, in, in, in the country. And he's an undersized guy. He's doing this at 230 pounds. Um, I think that he and that defense line had they have to have a big day. And if you're Prairie View, you can't allow Shadur Sanders to move the chains when you do everything right on the back end and then give up a 15, 12, 10 yard scramble on the third and long, in which they convert. Uh, you have to be able to take that away from, from that offense and force that offense to drive the field. I notice they get a little frustrated when it ain't quick strike. Uh, when it ain't quick strike, they get a little frustrated. Uh, but they, they, they. Prairie View's blue hitting on hit. Prairie View's defensive line, Jack State's offensive line, and which Jawan pass shows up. 
Because we, we've seen good Jawan pass. We've seen bad Jawan pass. He can throw. He, he might throw four, four touchdowns. He might throw three interceptions. All right? Uh, but he has the ability, and I'm not sure if people are paying attention to this, to pull the ball down and really get away from some people. He is dangerous when he pulls the ball down, especially if you forget about him. He'll house call one on you. Uh, so I, I think that th- that's going to be key this weekend. What say you, uh, Mr. Perry White? I had one point back to the class, you know, I moved forward. Saying that Southern couldn't stop Grambling, you look back in the spring, Southern had the number one rush defense in the conference. What happened? And I'll leave it at that. I'm just, it just hit me. You go from the number one rush defense in the conference then to what happened? When you look at this game, coming from the spring, I can remember being in Jackson, Mississippi, and Southern and Jackson played, and Southern completely dominated Jackson State. And as I was leaving that stadium, the fans just kept telling me, wait till the fall. Wait till the fall. And I'm like, okay, I'll wait till the fall. I did not think transition was going to be so soon, so quick. But I waited till the fall, and I said, you know what, let's see if Dion, Coach Sanders, is going to write this check, and can he cash this check? And you look at that first game against Florida A&M in the Orange Blossom Classic, an instant classic. I'm sure that attendance at that game is going to be double compared to what it was this year because of the way that it ended. You saw the, the excitement in these teams. A 7-6 win by Jackson State. Coach Sanders starts it off, and his team begins to roll. And I think one thing you saw with this team, especially offense, Jackson State can't run the ball at all. It's not there. Can't run the ball. Nope. I, I don't even think have they had a game with 100 yards rushing this year. And they may have – if there is – it's probably rare. Maybe one, maybe two. But they can't run the ball. But what I saw out of that game and as the season went on, Shador Sanders, it was a guy that everybody said as a freshman, this kid ain't – you know, he may not have all his talent. He was getting recruited by Florida Atlantic and wherever else. And, you know, as a freshman, will he be able to do what he can do in the swag? Will he – David to succeed, and guess what? Each week we saw this kid grow up in front of our eyes. Each week he got better and better. Right now you look at him, he's a Walter, Poor, Walter Payton award list candidate. You know, he's right there in terms of pass completion because he's all they have with these big-time receivers. They can't run the ball. The offensive line is just pretty much, can I say, trash because that's what it is. And Shadur is, is slippery as oil. I mean, if anybody who gets near him is just like he fine. He's an elusive guy, but he's accurate. He has his eyes down the field. And I think with this game, it's going to be down to what Shador can do. You know, Prairie View's defense is going to probably try to cause some trouble, try to put him in some situations. But Shador has seemed like he's been groomed for this situation when your dad is Deion Sanders. It seems like the bright light may not be too big for him. And each, each week, and you go back to even look at that ULM game, they were this close, this close to possibly having a perfect season. It was an instant gratification when you look at the impact. <laughs> Is it James Montgomery? The uh, Houston. James, James Houston. Houston, excuse me. I don't even know who Montgomery is. I, I'm thinking about Alabama. James Whoa, Houston. <laughs> James Houston is an absolute beast, dude. You're talking about coming into it. I think everybody was – putting the circle around Aubrey Miller. But then when you got a guy like James Houston who brings it each and every play in every game, this team, man, I, and you, you throw in Nugget, you throw in uh, Keontae Hampton. I mean, 
everybody was wondering, will he be able to survive with the dogs that Deion Sanders, Coach Sanders wanted to bring in? Was he just swat good and these other guys are going to be elite good? No, he showed he's the leader of this defense. This is his defense. He is the leader, and it doesn't matter who they bring in. He's a guy that compete with them. And I think, man, Jackson, with the weapons that they have against Preview, Preview just this, – this November is typically a November to remember. This is one they're going to want to forget. This, this has been a bad November for Preview. Horrible timing to play Texas A&M when you're in a championship run in this part of the season. And right now, especially with the distractions, like Blue said, you hear Coach Dooley named all over Louisiana in terms of coaching vacancy. And then you go out and lose to Valley this weekend. It kind of lost the luster. And I think the favor you have to look at when you look at that prediction chart, it has to go in Jackson State's favor when you look at the winning streak and the mentality. It seems like no matter what the adversity, they're locked in. When I saw them come back down 17-7 with five minutes left against Southern, I said this team right here is building themselves for moments later down the stretch. And that's what this team looked like they've been doing. Growing, gaining the chemistry, and even with Coach Sanders being out, they're finding a way to stay together. And I have to roll with that momentum because that's what it is. It is a start out as a small little snowball, but this thing now is rolling down the hill. And I think Prairie View is just going to be in the way as Jackson State heads on to, to the Celebration Bowl against South Carolina State. Now, with, with this particular ball game and talking about Prairie View, I think for you, if Prairie View, you almost feel like Cinderella and the clock is struck 12. Like it, 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 it's from mid, mid, midnight. I mean, I'm, I'm you remember three weeks ago when 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 uh, Alcorn was coming off the loss to Southern, and we were talking about how Prairie View was just rolling, and just, man, can we just hurry up and get to this Prairie View and Jackson State game? And, and Prairie View has this, this, and blah, blah, blah. And then three losses, you know, later, man, people looking at Prairie View like Cinderella's, you know, <laughs> you know, older sister, you know, Beulah. And BJ, I caught a lot of flack behind that because I put different scenarios out there. I was still trying to keep hope alive for Southern. So I said, hey, Southern, we need these scenarios to happen. The scenarios happened. Southern just didn't uh, do that part. But but the scenarios literally happened. Alcorn fell apart and Prairie View fell apart. And it was just like, you can't shoe in a team when there's still a month of ball to be played. Teams have to play. And just because you see a team on the schedule and the team is rolling at a particular point, does not give them an automatic W in the win column in Valley. Shout out to Coach Dancy and Valley, dude. Getting it done over the SWAC Western Division champions. Who would have saw that one coming, but they did it. And that just lets you know the games have to be played and people just can't say because you're in a position at that point looks like you're the best team that we're just going to give it to. You know, man, you have to earn this. And, and for Prairie View, they're going to have to put in some work if they want to earn this by next Saturday. All right, man. We're gonna close this thing out. Got about five, about four or five minutes. Blue, man. What's your closing thoughts, man, with this this West Championship game coming up in the off season and the sweat? We'll talk about the coaching vacancies and things of that mm-hmm. nature, man. What's your thoughts on that, man? Yeah, man. Um, you know, o- overall, the number one thing is I-, I at least hope the game's competitive. I mean, regardless of like who ends up coming out, I just, I just can't, I can't stomach a blowout. Like if it's, if it's, you know, 30 <laughs> something to three or 10, I mean, come like, I, I need something more than that if you're Prairie View. So at least make it competitive. I'm really interested to see that matchup that I talked about. I'm interested to see Jawan pass. I'm interested to see Shador Sanders, man. And if in, in year one, he can become, you know, win, go, go and win the SWAC championship. But 
overall, man, for the offseason, I'm interested to see the coaching hires. I mean, it sounds like Southern has locked on to a candidate, but I'm interested to see, you know, some other candidates who emerge. And then everything's kind of been just kept close to the, the vest with Grambling. I'm really interested to see where they go. I know the Alabama State hire, you either love it or you think that that program is going to be doing nothing for, for the next few years. So, I mean, I feel like they you're either on one side or the other with that one. But overall, I mean, you got to recruit, man. The transfer portal is going to be open. You get, you've got to know your weaknesses. And it, and if I'm if I'm any SWAT coach, you have to be hitting the transfer portal as hard as possible. And right now, I mean, everybody's everybody's looking at Jackson State as, as, as the guys, and you've got to catch up to that. And so that's going to be the standard in the transfer portal this offseason. It's going to be interesting to see who can catch up to them in terms of landing the, some of the top prospects from other schools. As of last Wednesday, 130 FCS guys in the transfer portal. Um, but just got word today, uh, Hilaire from Alabama A&M, one of our best receivers, just hit the transfer portal two years remaining of eligibility. So that's going to be big. Um, Perry, man, uh, quickly, man, got about a minute or so. Uh, man, how you feel about the sweat? Well, we, how you feel about these coaching vacancies? And is there someone that people may be overlooking? It's time to make a change. It's time to get this thing rolling. We just discussed it early on. How does the SWAC being put itself in the, the upper echelon of FCS football to be the competitive teams, no matter who they play against? These coaching hires are going to be crucial. Getting these programs in a direction that they need to go to be able to recruit the best in the nation or at least develop some guys to turn into the best in the nation. And I think that's what's going to be key here. And people talking about this Alabama State hire because they said he was a real estate agent. Hey, Dabo Sweeney at Clemson was selling insurance, okay? They gave him a chance. <laughs> so Alabama State fans, give him a chance. You know, people give him a chance. Let's see what he can do. I'm not going to write him out yet. But Southern and Grambling, you on the clock, baby. Jackson State has set the standard. We watched the Prairie View team come in as sneakers, even losing three games in November, still finding a way into a championship. And no Jack, no Southern, no Grambling. You got to step it up. You know, it's going to be a lot of pressure on those ADs here within the coming weeks of getting this thing right. Can't set yourself back at this point. And, and, and if I got one more thing, man, Southern, I, I'm, I'm telling you, just in my opinion, please don't hire Eric Dooley. Go get, go get Jaloop from Louisiana <laughs> Lafayette. Please don't recycle another, another SWAT coach. Go get Jaloop, who's recruited Louisiana, recruited P5 players, recruited group of five players, and can land transfers and built a culture of Billy Napier, who's now at Florida. Hashtag hire Jaloop from the Blue Bloods. It's my last thing. Hashtag. I, I got to get you hashtag Vincent Dancy. I'm hashtag Vincent Dancy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you this, man. It closes out, man. First of all, Blue, you just got real popular with a bunch of Southern people because there's a lot of people from from Southern. Uh, he know what he's doing. Loose. He know exactly what he's doing. <laughs> he know what he's doing. <laughs> so if, if, if I see Blue at tailgates next year, he's been invited. And in like, man, would you? Yeah, I know what happened. I'm gonna be like, uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell the truth. With coaching hires, you got to be able to uncover every stone, uncover every rock, and those just don't limit those to just the the stones and the rocks in your backyard. Because there are a lot of talented coaches out there that we're not touching. I think oftentimes with these searches, we limit ourselves to a guy who has a tie to the state or a guy who's been here before. No, sometimes you have to go outside like Southern did uh, when they went and got Pete Richardson from Winston Salem State. Um, you go get a hell of a coach. I think there are some names 
out there that we're just completely overlooking. One of those, man, my favorite right now is my man, Jerry Matt, running backs coach at the University of Tennessee. He, word is he wants to be a head coach. He's reached out to some of these HBCUs about the vacancy. You see what he, he did at North Carolina Central, three straight MEAC titles, uh, what he did with that particular program. Yeah, I think that that's a dude that you got to go give a, a holler to. Man, there's another one, Marvin Lewis, uh, currently working at Arizona State. Not technically on the coaching staff, but on the coaching staff. Uh, that's a guy he won at Cincinnati, the Bungles. He turned the Bungles into the Bengals. He had them going into <laughs> you know, to, to, to the playoffs uh, and, and had a hell of a football teams there. So I think that there's a lot of different ways that you can go, man. Don't limit yourself. And you have to ask yourself as, as HBCUs, is it about the politics or is it about the winning? And, and I've seen a mm. lot in HBCU football where the politics means more than the actual winning. And when the politics means more than the winning, who suffers is your fan base. Who suffers is your pockets that you're making from athletics. But the most important thing, the people who suffer are those kids. And that's your most important asset. So I'm going to close it out with this. If you're an HBCU athletic director, it's about the politics, it's about the best candidate. The wins and losses matter more than who gives you the wins and losses, or is it just about the wins and losses of graduating players? Leave that right there, man. We'll check y'all out, man. Next week, man, we we, we ready for this West Championship game, Jackson State, Prairie View, down in Jackson, Mississippi. Man, I see y'all people out there, man. Thanks for my man, Zach, a.k.a. Blue Bloods, for, for, for uh, coming in. You guys, make sure you watch this show, man. I'm telling you, man, one of my favorites. I tune in. I, I tune in. I'm subscribed. All right? I'm subscribed to Blue, man. Uh, and, and make sure, man, you check out Perry. Perry got a lot of shows. All right? So make sure. <laughs> man, I, want, I want Perry to get on the yard and back, back going, man. We're going to have some conversations with the people about getting on the yard and some things moving for Southern University, man, to get our university moving uh, in the right direction. Um, um, Perry, Jukebox Media, um, he, he's all over that, man. Jaguar Journal with my boy Reggie Flood. Shout out to Reggie. Man, he, he's there, man. Thank you guys for having me on on yesterday. Uh, me and Perry also did some serious radio on Friday, man. On Mark Friday, Gray. Man, Mark Gray, man, my man. My main man, Mark Gray, was able to do that. Uh, man, but hey, man, make sure you check these fellas out, man. They do a great job of, of, of breaking everything down, man. Appreciate everybody for tuning in, man. Shout out uh, to Roy. Uh, Fayum Uroy, uh, for, for, for pushing the buttons back in the studio, uh, doing the drive on this thing, man. Trust me, Perry and Blue will be back. Words already told me, man, get that information, man. Perry and Blue will be back. Uh, we will do this again, man. Uh, shout out to the Tigers and the Panthers this weekend, Sweat Championship, and shout out to you, you guys, for listening and tuning in as we go inside HBCU football. And I'll catch you guys next Sunday. Oh! <laughs>